Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Privateer Station, and today we're bringing you day 504 of Putin's invasion into Ukraine. As always, with former advisor to the office of the president of Ukraine, Alexei Rostovich, lieutenant colonel, and Mark Fagan, Russian opposition politician, lawyer, and blogger. Our usual thanks go to Igor, Vales, and Anhill. Thank you guys for supporting us and of course bill for his super thanks much appreciated and with that let's deep dive into day 504 enjoy dear friends glad to see you all on fagan live it is wednesday 13th of july time is two minutes past ten in kiev same time in moscow and we're doing our regular stream with uh, alexei Rostovich on our channel alexei glad to see you Good evening to your house. All right, all right. And today it is day 504. And we called it war and NATO. We understand what the discussion will be about. We have over 50,000 starting with us. 15,000 click the like button. Two big asks to our viewers. One, of course, Please uh, share links to that stream on your social media and uh, click the like button. That definitely helps us as well. Do not forget to check the previous stream. That was uh, Monday. I understand the amount of viewers on, on uh, in summer is usually a bit lower, but it's good content. I think that uh, stream was also pretty went also good. Um, do not forget to subscribe to Fagan Live to Alexei Rostovich. The links are at the bottom, and of course to the privateer station if you are listening or watching that in English. And with that, let's start. We have a ton of people commenting on what happened in NATO summit. We saw your post with the gauging uh, statement about what happened. President Zelensky came out and also said that regardless of the certain irritation and uh, some strain and some pawns exchanged, he considers the summit to be a success. And it's understandable. It's difficult times. It's war. People can understand that uh, the hardness of position of Ukraine and reactions by Ben Wallace, Minister of Defense of the United Kingdom, or some previous statements by Joe Biden, at least three of them, about Ukraine joining NATO. And in any way, in any case, uh, 
NATO summit is over, so how would you... What is your estimation on uh, the conclusions and promises made? Do you think uh, the pill is sweet enough for not taking Ukraine and not accepting Ukraine into NATO right now and giving some certain dates? So let's talk about uh, other things that are promised to Ukraine, including long-range missiles from France. So personally, I do like the results of that summit. Two parameters. One, indeed, they gave us a lot, a lot of equipment, airplanes, uh, scalps, uh, French storm shadows, 500 millions uh, per year of support and a guarantee and declaration of guarantee of safety. Uh, the signage of the guarantee itself is moved to the next year, but at least the declaration is already here. And Biden coming out and saying that Ukraine will be in NATO and uh, basically one hour after war you'll be in the NATO. So they uh, tried to sweeten it as much as they can and they did indeed help us. Uh, that's on one hand. On the other hand, I'm glad that the period is coming to an end. The period of Euro and NATO romanticism. And I think everybody who has eyes and brains could see that NATO countries are not philanthropic organizations. And their politics is ruled by Westphal principles and Machiavellianism and the interests of the group and the balance of power are put in the on the pedestal and a lot of things can be sacrificed for that. And moral is there, but it's not the main and the first reason for politics uh, and decisions uh, made by politicians. So our appeals to help us just because we are European leaning and we want to be part of Europe and we're also basically NATO's right flank that is defending them from Putin's regime. All these appeals met the considerations of the balance of power. So, summing up the results of that summit, Ukraine is ready for NATO for a long time ago, since a long time ago. NATO is not ready for Ukraine yet. And let's discuss some details. Alexei, thank you for that. Um, I think it's important to take a look at certain details. But before we go there, we decided to create another poll for today's stream. And Mikhail Badalek, the, the guy whom you pretty well know, a speaker for the Office of the President, and an advisor to the President, according to his data in the next summit in Washington, Kiev might be or will be taken into NATO. And this is our polling. The question today is, will Ukraine be invited to join NATO at the Alliance Summit in Washington in 2024, next year? We already have people voting. Yes, 62%. No, 38%. But regardless, the question is pretty interesting. Russian propaganda is already squealing that there'll be 
just cheating on Ukraine, all the Western allies, they'll be giving promises, but will never accept them. But the statement made by Mikhail Podolyak, I think, is a heavy one, that this uh, probability is possible. And do you think that, indeed, next year, in 2024, Ukraine can be invited? And Biden himself uh, can make this invitation while hosting the summit? Well, you know, there can be different options here, different eventualities. And the way everything is worded, it leaves a lot of opportunities how to understand this phrase. Because the way conditions are set, it's kind of a Jesuit way to put them. And you can many time come out and say that, yeah, Ukraine met all the conditions, uh, we can accept them. And at the same time, they're described so way in such a way as reforms, as fighting with corruption, and it's all uh, a bit nebulous. So you can always come out and say, well, no, they have not achieved these goals yet. So it's too early. Do you think they'll be hiding behind these declarations, these conditions? No, they're not. But they're leaving the field of opportunities. That's the art of strategy to make sure that your field of probabilities increases and never diminishes. That's the strategy, the rule of strategy. Because looking at these nebulous formulations, just 15 minutes from now, one of them can come out and say, Ukraine is fantastic, they met everything. We'll take them into NATO. And the same conditions may also be understood in a different light. And uh, one can say that Ukraine, even 10 years from now, has not met these conditions. So, in my estimation, Ukraine had fulfilled a hundred times over all these uh, conditions and asks. And I understand that when they pose these questions and these requirements, that Ukraine still could uh, increase and uh, elaborate, and there are fields for improvement for Ukraine in these areas. But I can just from a get go name at least 10 NATO countries that uh, have. A lot of room for improvement in these areas too so i just don't want to strike these countries but in general looking at that we understand that looking at this formulation we and requesting a, a date that we need to be joining nato uh, we understand the president wanted to cheer our own troops this helps our own spirit because this is one of the main goals that we said that we need to join NATO in order to guarantee the future of our children. And frankly, we have not faced the worst as a result of the summit. Uh, it's going pretty well. And we understand that we are fighting an existential battle. If we lose and there'll be no Ukrainians left, the world will probably cry for three days, maybe. So the moral of the story is that we can only rely on ourselves. And what we need to do is to continue increasing our own potential. And then, and then we do have uh, another game, maybe a smaller game, but a definite firm game of play with our allies. And they become real calculations. And because behind real capabilities, you can convert them into real opportunities and real points for discussion, even in the face of 
monsters like EU and NATO size-wise and capabilities-wise. And when you don't have that, it's um, a bit different. And the politics of mass and total heroism that we've been relying on is good for the first maybe three months. We did not retreat, we stayed, we fought, but at the 17th month of this war, this is a different situation. It's a war for attrition, and the war changed its face. And in order to be able to tire your opponent, to wear them out, one needs to have enough resources, a big fat resource bucket that you can uh, waste while wasting your opponent. And we don't have it. We are uh, wasting the resources of our allies and their patience. And one can understand both us and them. We're not asking for their aid, not because everything was fantastic, we were celebrating and cheering here, and then we decided to go out and ask for help from the West. We are asking for aid because we do want to live. That's the thing. And on their side, they're saying, we are giving you a lot. And this is true. And we're tremendously thankful to them for that. But there are a lot of nuance elements here. There's one small but very fat nuance. How important is how much you give when it doesn't fulfill, doesn't allow us to fulfill the main task? For example, uh, God forbid, but let's say our friend needs $100,000 for a surgery and you and I come together and give him 90. 90. On one hand, He's, of course, coming and saying, hey, I, guys, could you come up with a hundred? Because I do want to live still. And on the other side, we are turning to him and saying, hey, you should be thankful. We gave you, we're giving you 90. We took it from our own budgets and it's a huge amount, right? And you got to be thankful for 90. So should he be thankful for that? Yes. Does it solve his problem fully? No, it doesn't. And that's a rough approximation of what's happening with Ukraine right now. So our, okay, thank you, Alexei. Our poll is if Ukraine will be invited to join NATO in 2024. Yes, 61%, no, 39%. I wanted to ask you, this uh, micromotorics is uh, that a witness of uh, some element of you not being sure about something as a uh, asking as an expert in psychology <laughs> no mark no it helps me to think and i don't really care about uh, how it looks i'm just uh, thinking and yeah sorry if you can make it a little quieter because those uh, toothpicks make a lot of noise and somebody's complaining in the chat okay okay and we do have um question that I want to pose and it, it is hanging in the air so the question is if your plans are so misaligned with your partners perhaps the plans should be better aligned and that's what our partners are asking via the experts advisors and everybody and we're saying we can't really address that because if we start tweaking the plans, we will have to leave some people and uh, some grandpa 
on the occupied territories by Russians. And he'll be tortured, he will be forced to join Russian Federation, perhaps, and then eventually he'll be equipped and with uh, rifles and sent to go kill more Ukrainians. And we cannot go for changing the scope because our citizens will be tortured, will be killed, and will be mutilated by the occupants. We cannot accept that correction. We're sorry. And in order to achieve the goals that are, we see, we need a different volume of support and a different volume of uh, effort. And here we can take an old soldier, President of Czech Republic, Pavel, and civilian politicians usually don't say that, but he's a straightforward military man, and he's saying, guys, you generally have one attempt. He, he basically said that when he joined, when he became, uh, he came to power, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what he's saying. And he's saying that if you don't achieve results by winter, you will be forced to negotiate. Do you think this position exists indeed, Alexei? I think it exists, yes. And that rhetoric is uh, rather popular in the West and in Europe, in NATO, there are discussions like that happening. And even the formulation that we should be helping Ukraine in such a way that they should be able to resist future acts of aggression is implying that they are considering future acts of aggression possible. And what does it mean? It means that this war may come to some pause, and then in the future there will be some future acts of aggression. But what if one leads the war in a manner that Russian Federation would have zero chances of doing another act of aggression for quite a few years? and perhaps let Ukraine join NATO, so, so Russian Federation will uh, not be able to do any acts of aggression on their territory. So, thankfully, I am not a politician, at least officially. And that's why I can say that everybody on this summit, collectively and individually, are somewhat guilty, because behind all that rhetoric, one cannot conceal, fully conceal, the main principle that NATO is operating in accordance with, and Biden's administration as well. And it sounds like we cannot let Russia win, but we cannot let Russia fail completely. And they're afraid that Russia, devastated by this war, might run quickly under China, entirely. They'll start giving technologies, resources, territories, and all, and blood. So, hang on, Alexei, with Putin's regime in power, which is basically pro-Chinese at this point, do you think they'll ever run into the arms of the West? No, no, they don't see that this way, but they want to try to keep them somehow between and keep some influence on Kazakhstan or Central Asia, because otherwise China will consume those territories under its influence. I think this process is already happening, Alexei. Right, but they're talking about that. Then somebody is listening to them and is making some decisions. So, from my point of view, this is a false argument. The real argument sounds like this. If we leave at least one yard of occupied territory behind Russia, both China 
and Iran get a strong signal that one can press in an armed way on the West and you can achieve little steps of success this way. And then it's a matter of will and small little achievements and long time scale, couple hundred, three hundred years, you can achieve your goals. And by blackmailing the West via created artificially created zones of conflict, they can achieve different favors economically and sanction-wise and all. Because we understand that after this war there'll be a process of removing sanctions from Russia. And Putin, of course, will present it as the strongest success. And that's how China will read it as well. And any statement of the West that the, that Russia wasted so many resources and that is definitely a loss for them on the global scale. The counter-argument to that would be, when did Russia count their losses? Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. When did dictators count how many soldiers they wasted and lives they wasted? They don't. They'll play it as a victory in Russia because they achieved something. And this is worse than a mistake, than a crime. This is a mistake. And our dear partners are making that mistake live on camera. And this is good. Because why? Because romanticism must leave our relations. We must have only pragmatism left. We must understand that it's difficult to search for morality here. We need to look for numbers and for balance of powers. And when we are implying that strategy, we need to become one of the centers of that balance. Maximize to a degree we can our own military-industrial complex, our own economy, our own system of contracts and agreements with neighbors, that everybody will be genuinely interested in protecting each other. And the United States will be able to show certain elements of what they are interested in Ukraine, how we can cooperate together. This will be a different story. And it's time for us to start a proper system building of our sovereignty. And regardless of how small steps that we make are, each of these steps must be increasing our potential by the size of that step. And here we are going into the deep dark forest of mysterious Ukrainian soul. And, you know, I do like to talk about archetypes and historical parallels that I mentioned in my posts and social. But, in my point of view, our allies are making a grave mistake, historical mistake, and I mean historic mistake, not criminal mistake, not criminal uh, error. It's an error of calculations and consequences. But we are also mistaken, us as a nation. I'm not taking removing the responsibility from myself for failing to reach 
our leadership and people at large with my message that we're still not transitioning to the real system building pragmatism. We're still trying to solve things with heroism for the whole 500 years. And instead of emotions and heroism, we need to start system building. We need to start build economy and rely on that instead of emotions and order instead of heroism. Every person in, in the military knows that one needs heroes and heroic acts when you need to correct a mistake with bodies. And looking that Ukrainians have been heroic for the last 500 years or so, it tells you that we had a lot of failures in the way of, in the aspect of building our systems and our society and country. And of course, the kings of the West are naked as well and making big mistakes too. So we both are making mistakes. What we should be doing, we should be really putting mathematics on the table and showing profits and benefits to both sides. We need to boost our economy because security does not exist outside of strong economy. So our military industrial complex needs to become a vibrant one. And the West needs to get rid of Moscow centrism and Moscow philism, Moscow philia and start to understand that no rational agreements are possible with Putin's Moscow. No schemes that might hold China or might hold Russia from joining China are possible because Putin will always deceive. He does not know any other way. So that romanticism and their belief that they can somehow manage that situation, it can cause only an onset of laughter, really. So, separately, I want to say a huge thanks to Lithuania. 30,000 flags, mostly Ukrainian, on the way from airport to the summit. I know they've been asked to not battle Ukrainian topic, and they did. They still did that, despite everything, wholeheartedly. Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, Poland, Denmark, Holland and many other countries of NATO and it basically is very visible by the countries who are ready to train our F-16 pilots. They were very pro-Ukraine joining NATO. That special position of United States and Germany played its own role. In 2008 it was France and Germany, right? And this time, France is uh, more in favor, but Germany and the United States not yet. And we understand. They they have their views, we have our views. We have a lot of uh, problems with how they supply us uh, with military munitions and resources. We can bring a ton of accusations of Moscow centers, Moscow philia, and all that, and how and what they supply. And they have legit questions. Corruption, societal weakness, uh, absence of reforms, poor economic situation. But a question one can bring up is, do both sides need to deep dive into problems and start yelling at each other and increasing the degree, or be more constructive? I'm for constructivism here. We can bring up the logical 
discussion and say we understand your points of interest we are ready to fulfill them but this is what we need in return and i think this needs to become our politics and policy because this war unlike any other showed that it's difficult to rely on big international structures the biggest guarantee of security is a contract with the immediate neighbor who understand equally realistically as you do the real threat of Putin's regime. There are no problems with them. They understand everything from half the world. Baltic countries, Finns, Swedes, Romanians, etc. Poles. But, uh, you know, Hungary is showing another angle here. Because you'd think 1956, right? Hungarians, I, I, one would have thought, learned a lesson what Moscow is. Yet still today they're trying to pacify everybody and to continue building a new block of their nuclear power plant. And I approximately understand what might have happened with uh, a few millions when the first block was building, was being built by Russia there. So I do like the summit results. On one hand, we got a lot of definite concessions, a lot of different improvements. And this is the success of our president who threw everything on the table to make sure that we get there. On the other hand, it's a cold shower. And an explanation that betting on heroism, betting on national unity and all, and international unity, it will be dissolving slowly. And calculations will take place of that. And that's here when we need to become adults. That's where we need to become decisive in building our country systems including the ones that will help us to fortify our relations with our neighbors. And this is our somewhat historic issue, because for 500 years we've been running away from that topic, that we wanted that Moscow or Polish or Austro-Hungarian uh, government would be maintaining that and it will be, it would be taking care of that. We had only two historic times when we were building systems here. Marzepa Skarapatsky and Jeremy Vishnevetsky, uh, who was trying to build their own Ukraine, but uh, that quickly was called by the uprising of his opponents. So this is a difficult historic curse that we need to address. We need to grow over out of all right, almost 165,000 are watching us, about 60,000 likes were already clicked. Please continue sharing links to that stream in your social media. Make sure you do subscribe, that all helps us to bring new eyes to the stream. And do not forget to subscribe to the Privateer Station if you are listening or watching that in English. About a quarter of uh, original stream is being watched from Russia, from Russian IP addresses. That's interesting. And of course, yeah, subscribe to Alexei Rostovich's channel. Uh, all the links are in the description. We are at almost 30 minutes, 29 and a half. Let's maybe take a quick look at the map and see what is uh, unfolding there at the War Theater. 
Yes, we opened that. Which one do we open first? Let's start with the left bank. There are some interesting changes there. Curious, please elaborate. So, these fellows decided to create an active motion in Kupiansk and Slatova line. Oh, that's in the whole other area, right? Yeah, yeah, that's in the east. That's in the northeast. And on our side, some people are very concerned. They're looking at these fights with uh, a lot of concern. But I do see a lot of positivity in this. From my point of view, they would not have ignited three areas in the Kupinsk front line if they were a bit more successful in the south. They are trying to do anything they can to pull some of our reserves from the south to the east. And that's why they're throwing the last of their operative reserves like to tank detachments, to tank regiments, to try to attract more of our forces from the south to the east, northeast. But what if we do not distract? What if we do not pull our reserves and not throw them there? So it may sound very difficult and complex for the soldiers fighting there who are enduring it under Russian artillery and bombs and everything. But if you look at the strategic and operative side of a theater, it's a definite sign that their business in the south is real bad. Or at least they gauge that as bad. But uh, we do have to say that the eastern direction is very complex right now. Nevska, Torska, Dibrova, Sibranska forestry, Belagorovka, all that northeastern area is very hot. It's all on the tactical level. They're dreaming to become operative tactical, but very tough tactical fighting, and our enemy is projecting a lot of consistency and a lot of seriousness in their pushes. Now, if we look at Bakhmut area, some evil tongues on their side are commenting that our troops are pushing. On the other hand, they are very active in resisting near Klishevka and Kurdumovka, and regardless of their resistance, we are pressing. And we're not going into the immediate attacks or uh, counterattacks over their attacks, but we definitely are active on both sides. Marinka and Avdivka traditionally still hot, without much change. And if you look at the southern front, we are working in the same main directions. It's Staromayorsk, Zolobok, and that area. And of course, we are holding an area near Antonov Bridge. Still exists, and uh, there is active fighting around that area. So, the main topic of today's situation is the beginning of very active motion by Russian command on the Eastern Front. And I am positive that they are trying to pull our reserves from the South, because they are running out of their own reserves. They have already pulled them into other parts of the Front, so they need to start pulling them back, or they need to heat up the area and see if we can maybe pull away some of our troops from the south. So that's generally it, right? 
Do you want us to go into each house and each farm? No. There are a lot of other observers who do that. No, we don't have uh, our time format and our general message is different, so... Okay, okay, Alexei, thank you. We're continuing with our poll about invitation of uh, for Ukraine to NATO. That might happen next year. So out of 50,000 who voted, yes, 58%, no, 42%. So very close to the median, even though there is a definite uh, leaning over towards yes. So I'm asking all of you who are watching us live to continue clicking that. Um, that's uh, curious information. And the news of uh, another caliber, our favorite Russian Minister of Defense speaker, Konoshenkov, person, as I call him, a man without sex, uh, he made a statement that they are finishing receiving armor and all kinds of military equipment from Wagner troops, and they already got tanks, self-propelled howitzers, APC carriers, artillery systems, and there are dozens of those that have never been used yet. And they also got over 200,000 ammo and supplies of different kinds and uh, rifles. And all that is being delivered to the fourth tier of frontline where it will be remastered, refitted, um, maintained if needed and sent back to the front line. So it seems that Wagner is being disbanded. Their companies are being taken away from Prigozhin. We don't know where Prigozhin himself is, yet there is information bubbling up that he still met with Putin personally and with other commanders of Wagner troop. So regardless of that meeting, all the current information is pointing towards the fact that Wagner is ceasing to exist. There'll probably be something in its place, but as an entity, it is dissolving. How do you gauge that? Mark, I have a suspicion here, and my suspicion is that Russian power ministers stopped listening to Putin. How do you mean? It means that they follow with court proceedings. Oh yeah, and Minister of Defense is taking their equipment. Yeah and they're not asking Putin. But why then Peskov come out, comes out and says that Putin met with Wagner and his troops? Well, that's the reality, that uh, Putin is weakening as a political figure and he's still meeting with them, but nobody gives a damn. So, look at it this way. On the 29th, Prigozhin is meeting with Putin. At the same time, about the same days, Russian FSB, people are kicking the doors into his office, take equipment out, take money out. So, in the previous Russia, before the war, would that be possible? When a person is being received by Putin and then FSB would be taking over his office. No, that's that's unreal, right, you're right. But now it is happening. He's got personal guarantees, he's flying jets, he's getting his personal weapon returned to him, his, some of the money returned to him. At the same time, his uh, field group is being pillaged and pulled apart by the military. So it somewhat follows in the whole Byzantine scheme when emperor is balancing between different parties, but if he fails to balance them, then some part of them just doesn't stop listening to him, and they do whatever. And 
you know the argument? Which one? Right now we are defending your power, Vlad. What if Prigozhin decides to go a second time for Moscow? He wanted to do it once, right? You already stated officially that they are traitors, so we are honestly eliminating these traitors. What, you want us to stop? Then if next time they go on Moscow, we'll do nothing. Well, they didn't do anything the first time either. Right, but when the second one comes, what do you do? And imagine Putin orders to bring the jets up and destroy the comms, and the military would come back and say, no, 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 we've done that. But you didn't even look towards the families of the deceased uh, pilots, and you were meeting weird people who killed them. Then we tried to disarm them, right? Before the second march, and you stopped us. So go defend yourself. So that's the argument. We've done everything to protect you preventively. And it's very easy for them to explain that position. This is a very serious sign of weakening of Putin's power. And frankly, if there was any crystallized alternative center of governance, Putin would not be in power. I think it's just the lack of alternative existence at the moment. But the fact that they stopped listening to him in general, and that's the feeling I get that when I listen to some Russian news, that they don't even hear to or listen to their central command. They very often just make decisions locally. It's a very bad sign. Putin is losing monopoly, not even for power, but for execution. Even when the order is given, nobody is executing it, and they execute their own things. And looking at that, the funnier becomes the position of NATO when they want to pacify Putin and come to some agreements with him. So, All right, we've been almost 40 minutes live. One last piece of news. Hang on, hang on, I have one more important thing. I need to say a few hellos, very important hellos. I was uh, in, filmed in a video with some kids asking a lot of questions. What what show is that? Oh, it'll come out in about a month, I think. But it was, yeah, one-on-one -on -one little kids interviewing me. And of course, their questions for the most part were created by adults, but still. There was a wonderful boy, Slava, with a great mom, Oksana Mikhailovna. And I want to send a very warm hello to these two and to all the other kids who were there. I want to say my own personal hello. I did promise them. And also, there are several more good people. I did promise about three streams ago, Alexandra and Andre. They caught me in the forest. Wait, hang on, I'm afraid to think. Well, no, proverbial forest, it's a park. I was riding my bicycle and not touching anybody and uh, not talking to anyone. And they were running there and actually were running for a while after me. And uh, when I paused, they came and said they're big fans. And, I did promise to say hello. I don't know how that situation uh, it stood. No, no, no. There was just a fun situation there. They were celebrating their birthday with the families, and they wanted to use the chance to take a picture and say hello. So I do want to also send hello to everybody who meet me in the streets, who say good words, and I'm sending my hellos back to them. And that's not everything yet, Mark. 
Oksana Mikhailovna and Slava are bigger fans of yours than mine, as they told me during that show. And they asked me to ask you to say hello. So could you please do that? So yeah, separate hello to Oksana Mikhailovna and Slava. And Slava, please close your ears when we are cursing here. Uh, but otherwise, thank you for watching our streams. All right. So let's conclude with the poll about Ukraine being invited in 2024 during the Washington summit of NATO. We have about 61,000 votes, 58% optimistically say yes, and 42% are saying no. They are probably deferred optimists. So we're concluding that poll. I think it is important as a summary, and it, it might play a certain role. People are believing they're still optimistic because Russian propaganda is still screaming that Ukraine will never be a part of NATO. All right. And let's conclude with Erdogan. That was the last thing I wanted to bring. Why him is that Gutierrez already came out and said that we will suggest Moscow does not leave grain deal. And Erdogan also came out and said that they're already starting to receive some interesting propositions from Putin and his gang about possible continuation of grain deal. So I guess after that uh, curved Turkish blade in the nether regions of Putin's butt um, with the transfer of Azov fighters, they started moving, right? Oh yeah, Erdogan is one of those who, unlike most of other NATO members, if he needs to shoot down the Russian jet, he'll just do it. Yeah, and probably the only one from NATO without any, any thoughts or tribulations. He actually did shoot a few down before, right. So he is not bothered by neither Russian nukes nor getting some third parties involved. He is just minding the interests of his country. So if to compare, by the way, Ukraine and Turkey, look at how Turkey is consistently achieving their interests. Because on the summit, Turkey got everything they wanted. They, by the way, led Sweden to join NATO. Note that Turkey was attacked seven ways to Sunday verbally by all the NATO members. They tried to drop the lira. They tried to maybe discuss removing Turkey from alliance, and that lasted for years. And despite of that, he still achieved everything he wanted, because behind himself he has a very real potential that allows him, looking in the eyes of Biden and saying, no, this will not be the way you want it, this will be the way we want it. This is the real potential. And this is in regards to Biden and Putin, he can do that in the same manner. There are conversations that there might be some promises about Northern Cyprus, that Erdogan might, might be promised something there, and that's where his loyalty is coming from. Oh, even, even more than that, right? Because that's uh, another huge achievement if uh, he manages to resolve that. Of course, they need to look at Cyprus becoming part of European Union. And finishing some of the problems there. Yeah, and that's uh, a good example. If we look back in 91, on some areas, Ukraine had better stats than Turkey. And now about 30 years later, everything is not so simple. All right, dear friends, about 106,000 were with us today, 73,000 click the like button. Please continue sharing links, clicking 
all the buttons and the YouTubes and other video platforms you're watching it in. Do not forget to watch the previous stream because there was a good precursor stream before the summit and you can compare one and the other. I think it is interesting. And of course, subscribe to Fagin Live, to Alexei Rostovich, and to the Privateer Station if you are listening or watching that in English language. Thank you, Alexei, and we'll see you on Saturday, 10 p.m., usual time. Right, with big pleasure. Goodbye, everybody, dear viewers. See you. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.